Um, on your handout sheet, you'll notice we're in part 24 of our first Corinthian series. And my Bible's falling apart. This is a piece of it right here. Um, it's kind of an important piece. I'm going to be reading that later. Um, is that uh, this series only has 25 parts. We're in part 24, so there's only one more left. Now, next week we gather together. It's Christmas. We're going to have a standalone message for that that I will be uh, teaching you. And then we're going to close up the last weekend of the year. It took us all the way through the year. Hopefully it's been a blessing to you. It's been uh, awesome for me to be able to learn more and more and more about this incredible book of the Bible. This, this morning's message that I bring to you is called Faithful to Help. And I want to begin by talking a little bit about how church works. Uh, church to me is incredible. It's incredible for a variety of reasons, but it is incredible because I am able to engage with it in part of the ways that it's intended. When I walk into this place and I'm standing in the back, uh, I was worshiping, and as you walk by me, um, the great majority of you can look me in the eyes and you can kind of smile and nod because you know me. Uh, when I look out and I preach to you, I see people that I know, that I love, that are my friends. This is a safe place for me. This is a comfortable place for me. This is a, this is a family place for me. I don't know what it's like for you. I don't know if you feel like you just come here and observe and bail out. That would be a shame because that's not what it's for. Uh, a lot of us have this silly notion of, man, I don't know if I really need church anymore. I can just kind of sit home. I can listen to the podcast. That's not church. Uh, that's information gathering. And although that is good and it's a wonderful supplement and sometimes you can't be here and you need to catch up there, that's great. But it's not church. Uh, this place is not home for you until you can walk in all these hallways and feel like they're yours. Where you can have the same comfort that you walk down your hallway at home, that you walk down the hallway here. That you know enough people, and you're not going to know everybody. You need maybe a small-knit community around you. But when you walk in, you're already texting and going, hey, where are you guys sitting? I want to come sit with you. That kind of thing. And here's why it practically matters. Let me give you a little bit of a, a story here. Uh, last Saturday night, I was... Uh, doing the meet and greet, and we went out by the Christmas tree out there. And a young gal, a young pretty gal came up and, and said, Hey, do you remember me? You and your wife prayed for me uh, at the prayer and healing night. And I had prayed for so many people that night. It was kind of a blur. And I recognized her face, and I said, I said Hey, remind me of the details. And she said, uh, I had cancer. I had Hodgkin's lymphoma. And, and I remember, and I was going, yes, that's, that's right. And I remembered seeing her prayer request on our prayer chain out there. And I said, I go, how's it going? She goes, I just had my PET scan, and I'm cancer-free. Now, that's awesome, yeah? Uh, she said, I got three more chemo treatments where they're going to make sure to not, you know, they kind of do that preventative stuff. Let's make sure it's gone, gone, gone. She said, but, but I just want you to know what God did. Now, here's why it matters to be in church. She could have suffered alone and rejoiced alone. 
That's the fact. She could have been scared about what was going to happen with her body and how the cancer was going to go, and she could have just been in her room freaking out. She decided to come out of her room, join in with us, be a part of the community, actually came to the healing and prayer night, actually let us all know about it, was open and available to have it prayed for on the prayer chain. We're all engaging with it. Now, all of a sudden, everything that happens in her life matters to us because now it's personal to us. We own it. Then... God decided to move. Does he always heal? No, he doesn't always heal. He decided to move in this young lady's life. And instead of her screaming and cheering and running around a room by herself, she was able to come to us and say, Jesus, touch me. I'm healed. And then we all erupt in applause and we're all excited about it. That's what church is like. Uh, a gal from uh, in ministry here with me, I'm going to try to not highlight her too much that might embarrass her, but she came and she has a, a tumor in her head and she had ringing in her ears and she's had uh, a whole bunch of side effects that were really wearing on her. And so they told her, they said, we need to go in and we need to do surgery. And she wasn't quite sure if this was the right timing or not. She came to the elder board for prayer. We anointed her with oil. We prayed over her. And it was neat because on Wednesday night when the wedding happened, so when Jake got married on Wednesday night, I was over at the refreshment table and she said, hey, Lance, I got you for a couple seconds. I just want to let you know, um, we just went through and finished up all my testing. And you know what? Everything but the ringing has stopped and I don't need surgery for another year. We're now just going to go back through and we're going to be able to, I have some freedom there. And once again, suffer alone. Life is hard. Life's not easy. I mean, there's challenges all over the place. Why? Because we're in a broken world. Stuff happens like in Connecticut because we're in a bad place. That's why, because Satan's trying to kill everybody that he can. And we're living in a world soaked in sin. And so, yeah, our bodies are breaking down and bad things are happening. You want to do that alone? I don't want to do that alone. I want to make sure that we're all in this together. I need you to be able to know this place, be involved in it enough that when I say a person's name that has a prayer request, they pop up in your mind. You know who they are. Then you own it. Then you pray for it a little bit different. You'll pray for family members more than you'll pray for strangers. I need you to begin to know people here. I need you to be involved with people here because that is what it is all about. You're a part of something that is greater than yourself. We are here together and we may not be able to do everything alone. A lot of people say, well, I can go out and I don't, you know, I don't really need to give to the church. I can go do ministry on my own. You're absolutely right. So are you wealthy enough to go build a well in Malawi on your own? Or do you need your part to join in with your part, which joins in with your part, and then a well gets built in Malawi? The idea is that we're gathering together and collectively we can do something that we cannot do alone. In the same way, although Jesus is not waiting here in this building that when you leave, you better hurry up and get back here so you can have power. He's following you home and the Holy Spirit is present with you and he's listening to your requests and he's engaging with you at all times. Even though that is the case, there's something different about the prayers when we come together collectively. It's almost as if they are built upon each other and that God is honoring that unity and there's a super charge to all of those prayers. These are the reasons why we gather together. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this very simple, not rocket science. God has orchestrated this life that we need each other. 
God has orchestrated, he designed this life that we need each other. You know what loneliness is? It's an alarm that you don't have community. Loneliness is built in to force you to be with other people. You go, I hate loneliness. Of course you do. It's supposed to be irritating. It's agitating. It's the same thing as hunger pangs. Hunger pangs say, I think I need food. Now, granted, we've reset our alarms to where they just go off randomly and you're like, I need a cookie. And you actually don't need a cookie, but we've set our alarms there. In the same way, there's a healthy loneliness that God has put into your system. And then there's an added loneliness that may be beyond. It may be a temptation or a trial that you're walking through. But the bottom line is we need each other. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians 16. We're just going to read verses 1 through 11. And I need to give you a warning about today's message. The warning is this. You will panic. And here's why you're going to panic. My message is front-loaded to where I do a lot in the first four, first four verses. We're going to get to verse 5, and you're going to freak out and go, Oh my gosh, he's never going to stop talking. <laughs> we don't have any time left, and we're running long, and things are going to go very badly. Okay, That is not true. After we do the first four verses, we are then going to speed through the rest of it because it is all front-loaded. All right, everybody good? No panicking, no running out. All right, here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. Paul is continuing to talk to the church in Greece in Corinth, and he says this. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they'll accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him, help him on his way in peace that he may return to me for I'm expecting him with the brothers. Let's pray for the word. Heavenly Father, we submit ourselves under your teaching uh Jesus, Rabbi, teach us, show us what you want in our lives, open up our hearts and our minds that we not only understand it, but we do something about it, bring change and transformation, allow us to be faithful to help, faithful to to do the things that you want to do, that we might be the distribution house of your incredible gifts and resources. Father, be praised and glorified in your word today, in your worship today, in the hearts of your kids today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's go back to verse 1. It begins with a very significant first line. 
of which I believe that we need to unpack. And know that if you would read this at home, you'd probably go, oh good, I'm finally getting to the end of 1 Corinthians. Let me just ignore all this piece, blow through it, check that one off the list, move on to 2 Corinthians. You're going to miss quite a bit of stuff. It begins with this line. Now concerning the collection for the saints, it's not just any collection. When he uses a definite article of the collection, they know what he's talking about. As a matter of fact, whenever Paul would talk about collections, William Barclay, one of the commentators said, Paul uses nine different Greek words to describe this type of giving about how you give a church to something. Sometimes he says that it's a love gift. Sometimes it's called above and beyond. Sometimes it's fellowship. Sometimes it's service. He uses nine different Greek terms to talk about collections like this. So here he says, I want to talk to you about the collection for the saints. It's not just for any saints. This particular collection is for the church in Jerusalem. If you think about it, when Jesus Christ, who came as a Jewish man, when he launched the ministry, it was 12 Jewish men. And then it began to radiate out in Jerusalem all the idea of Galilee, Judea, these regions. It was Jews seeing their Messiah for the first time. And they were largely a Jewish population. Now, granted, it's still an international community, so there were some non-Jews. But by and large, it launched within the Jewish nation. So around Jerusalem would hang the original crew. Those that had not been martyred, those that were still with us, they would still be there. The guys like Peter, James, and John, and all these guys, as they were still doing ministry there. They would be watching over the Jerusalem church. Jerusalem church was poor, especially at this time in history. Now, in general, the early Christian church was poor. A lot of them were slaves. Most of them ended up being disrupted when they became Christians, uh, especially in Jerusalem. Think about it this way. If you are an Orthodox Jew and you become a Christian and say that you're going to believe that he's the Messiah, you are now cut off from the synagogue. You're now cut off from all your buddies. You're cut off from all your business connections because they're intensely tight community. When you violate their community, when you step outside of that, there are consequences. Therefore, you will tend to lose your job and lose everything. The Jerusalem church not only was having persecution, but not that many years earlier, a famine had hit. That even wiped out all the rest of their resources. So even though they didn't have a lot of cash to begin with, they were really on hard times. Paul had a heart to know, listen, even though I'm called to the Gentiles, I still love my Jewish people. I love God's chosen people, so I want to make sure they're taken care of. So wherever I'm going to go, he had even promised the Jewish council. He even said, I'm going to watch over you. I want to give to the poor. I want to be able to help you out when you need that. And this particular gift was special because it would be one way to unite the Gentiles with the Jews. Remember, they still didn't get along very well. The Jews kind of had their community, whether they were Christians or not. 
And they didn't quite understand this whole God's working with the Gentiles. They're saying, listen, we're the ones that have had the corner market on what God is doing in this world. I don't like the idea that they're having their own churches. That's uncomfortable for me. And Paul said, you know what? God is moving among them just as much as he's moving along you. And I want us to be one together in a brotherhood. So I'm going to have my buddies over in the Gentile world gather up their money and bring it over to you to take care of you. When did it start that we were bringing money to church? I mean, why don't we just all do it on our own, by ourselves? When did that get started? It actually got started very quickly. And the reason why is because it was practical. By A.D. 150, less than 100 years after this letter was written, Justin Martyr, one of the early church fathers, wrote down that people would bring their tithes and offerings and their giftings to the church and the church would distribute them. Why? Wisdom. It was about cross checks, balances, making sure that we pull it together, doing the things that needed to be done. We can't do it all alone, that kind of stuff. That's why we do that. One part I forgot to mention to you, which I think is rather significant, especially in our world situation today. When Paul told the Gentiles to give to the Jews, he used a phrase in Romans 15 that was pretty blunt. He said this, you owe it to them. You go, what do you mean I owe it to them? I don't even know those people. No, no, no. Let me tell you how things go. When God was going to bring about the redemption of mankind, he selects out a man by the name of Abraham. Through him, he builds the Jewish people. And through that lineage... Through the chosen people of the Jews, he has used them as the light of the world. That God was communicating to our world through them. Throughout history, it was the prophets were coming out through them. They were the ones sharing what God wanted. Their kings were leading on behalf of God. As it came down, finally, when the Son of God was going to take on flesh and dwell among us, he came as a Jew to the Jews, died on a cross just outside the walls of Jerusalem. Our spiritual heritage is through the Jewish people. Because that is so, the Jews have received heat from their very beginning. Satan has sought to destroy them and destroy them and destroy them. Constantly, they're under duress. The persecution has been so high on the Jewish people. Why? Because God's working through them. And so they took all the heat. Paul said, listen, if they're taking all that beating and battering and that spiritual blessing is poured out to you, guess what? You owe it to them. Turn around. They've given you spiritual blessings. I think you can give them material blessings. Help them out. Very blatant, very straightforward. We pick it up in verse 1. told you it only gets worse from here as i directed the churches of galatia galatia is a region in modern day turkey it's not a city we have the book galatians that's actually to a series of churches churches like derby and lystra and iconium and pisidian antioch they were all part of a collective group that he wrote a letter to So he says, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. 
We find out later that the region of Achaia also joined in. The region of Macedonia also joined in. Everybody was trying to help out the Jerusalem church. He said, here's the instructions on how you're supposed to help them. This above and beyond gift. Verse 2. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside, store it up as he may prosper, so there will be no collecting when I come. Let's break that apart piece by piece. On the first day of every week, that is, I want it to be consistent. This isn't a, man, I wonder what's going to be in my pocket at the time. Guess what's going to be in your pocket at the time? Nothing. So you need to organize it out, plan ahead. This isn't a last minute scrambling effort. Every week, first day of every week. What's the first day of the week? Sunday. When in the world did we shift from the Jewish day of worship was a Saturday to Sunday. How did that happen? Remember, they were all Jews at the beginning. Why are they worshiping on a completely different day? They were raised in worshiping on Saturday. So why would that change from the Sabbath? Because one of the most extraordinary things that ever happened to humanity happened on a Sunday. On Good Friday, Jesus died. On Sunday, what happened? He rose again. The resurrection changed everything. When Jesus showed up, it was on the first day of the week. And even the next time he showed up, when Thomas needed to see him, it was on the first day of the week. When Pentecost came around, they were meeting on the first day of the week. Very soon after, it became the first day of the week, Sunday, let's worship then. He said, all right, when you come together, I want you to be prepared to give. And here's what he said. Each of you, guess what that means? Everybody, right? Each of you, everybody is to put something aside, something. What do you mean something? How much? He didn't say how much because that's not the point. Each of you is to put something aside and store it up, planning, as he may prosper. That means in proportion to his blessing. There are some of us who finances are just not being blessed right now. I mean, we just got nothing in the bank. Everything's way down there. I will tell you this. When you give, it's going to be a tiny amount. Why? Because that's in proportion to your blessing. God right now is not blessing you in finances. Okay. Why is he not? Well, there's a variety of reasons. In some ways he'd go, man, if I blessed you financially, you walk away from me. So we're not doing that right now. Others of us, he said, I just need you to walk through a trial. You never trust me. I need you to walk and I need you to learn to trust. There's a variety of reasons why our finances may not be blessed. And they're all good reasons because if you're a child of God, he's in charge of your finances. He actually knows what's going on. There are others of us that have extraordinary finances. And in that, the more and more your finances increase, so does your responsibility and stewardship. That in proportion to that blessing, you're able to give a lot more. Well, that's awesome. It doesn't bring you joy. Obviously, the the wealthy of this world, Wall Street doesn't look super joyful. It's not that the wealthier you are, the better it is for your life. That's not true. But we do know that sometimes God blesses us that way and sometimes he does not. So the giving is supposed to be in proportion to your blessing. All right? It's not an amount. Like if you don't give this amount... Then there's no blessing to it. That's not it. That's not the point of scripture. So there will be no collecting when I come. He said, don't you dare scramble when I show up. Oh, we forgot about that. We didn't even think about that. Well, what do I got on me? You know, that kind of stuff. He's like, listen, I'm not going to manipulate you. I'm not going to pressure you. I'm not going to get in your face. I'm just going to tell you, I'm telling you ahead of time. You need to do this because they're your brothers and sisters and they need you. 
All right. When I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they'll accompany me. What's that? That's called fiscal responsibility. That's called let's have checks and balances and make sure nobody's embezzling and stealing money and taking stuff. I want you to select out your ambassadors. You're going to gather money together. And remember, this is not, I'm going to wire it to your account. We're way in the old school world, right? This is, I'm going to give you something. You're literally going to carry it physically to Jerusalem. So instead of people dipping into the bag and everything, they have an accounting measure. And he said, listen, I don't even have to take it for you. I would rather you select a representative to take that to Jerusalem so they can look in that person's eyes. Let's say that we as Bridgeway were one of the churches that was going to bless Jerusalem. We select out a representative. We select Crystal. We say, Crystal, you're going to go on our behalf. She then looks them in the eye as she walks up and she says, listen, on behalf of Bridgeway, I want to give you this gift because we love you there too. Jesus has told us that you're special to him. And so we have gathered up a collection, and I want you to know that we're not only praying for you, but we're behind you. And she hands our gift over to them. That means a lot more than just money that shows up out of nowhere. There's a person attached to it. He said, now, if I have to go for some reason, whatever, I'll go. If you need me for fiscal responsibility or you need me for travel help or whatever, he's the missionary. He said, all right, I'll be there if you need me to be, but I'd much rather have you guys go. As Gentiles, look the Jews in the eye and say, I love you. That's what I would, that, that's, that would be the best, right? So let's talk about giving in the New Testament, right? Giving in the New Testament always follows these concepts. Freely give, meaning it's not God's going to hate you if you don't. It's not God's going to curse you if you don't. It's not this, I got to pressure you and all this. That's not in the New Testament. It is always a free will offering. It's a man, God has been so kind to me or wow, I need to discipline myself because I am, and I mean discipline, not in a negative way, but in a, I don't feel like giving right now, but I will never give unless I start trying to get this away from me. But it's always back on you. It's always the idea of saying, I want to give to God. I want to give to his work. I want to do these things. Not that it's mandatory or everything's going to fall apart. Not only is it free, but it's supposed to be joyful. We have lost some of the joy of giving. Let me use an analogy with you. Um, it is now Christmas time and my girls are very much in the mode of making presents for mom and dad. So we have under our tree right now six wrapped gifts of which I have no idea what they're going to be, right? And they're making crafts and they're doing stuff at home and they are fired up. They always point out and go, Dad, look, these are yours. These are yours, right? And they're pointing it out. You know, they're excited about it. And they're proud of it and everything. When you're a little kid and you make something for your parents, how, what does your face look like when you give it to them? I mean, you are so pumped, right? And you're just like, Dad, 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 I made something for you. I got something for you. I got something for you. You know, and as a parent, you're like, oh, what is it, honey? And they go up and they go, here it is. And they're like, and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know what it is. <laughs> right. And then they're like, yes, I know. Look, it is awesome. Right. And, and they're so excited. And you know, you're like an ashtray. I don't smoke. That's so awesome. <laughs> right. I don't, honey, I, that's so cool. <laughs> 
there's that there's that joy right and and it, you know i wish that that was the case when we gave to the lord because when we come in to give the lord here's what it should be like we come in and we're like god i got something for you <laughs> right come on come on it's the time to give time to give time right and then you're like oh there's a plate there's a plate give me that and you know you grab the plate away from somebody else and you put it in there and you're god 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 look what i got look what i got look what i got it's a check Okay, <laughs> and and look at it. Look at the amount. Look at the amount. Look at the amount. And God goes, "Oh my gosh, thirteen dollars and seven cents! What? Oh my gosh, that's awesome!" Right? You're like, "I know, I saved all of Africa." <laughs> and he's like, "That is so great, right?" And we're just so pumped about our gifts to him. That's what it should be like. But unfortunately, it, it's kind of like, uh, there's a plate, whatever, all right. Oh, gosh. Right, 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 rip. Throw it in there, right? And, and can you imagine if your kids did that? You just go, hey, I heard you made something for me. They're like, yeah. You know how long that thing took? Oh, my gosh. I was like, where are the resources? You know, I was like, <laughs> string, and then it was paper clips, and it was, you know. And then I was sitting there, I even cut myself doing it, and whatever. It's over there. That's a whole different gift to your father. You know what I'm saying? We forget that it's an act of worship. We forget that it's this, Jesus, I love you so much. I know all I have to give you is kind of silly. All I got is this little happy meal. But I know, Lord, that, that you can feed 5,000 on a happy meal. Um, I, know, you, I know, Lord, you don't need my money. I know it's kind of silly what I have for you. After all that you've done, it's almost embarrassing, Lord, but here's the deal. I just want you to know that it's what I have. It's my stuff. It's, it's what you gave me. And when you gave it to me, I just want to give it back to you because you've been so kind to me. I would never have any of this stuff if it wasn't for you. That's an act of worship. I know a lot of people are negative about Christmas, um, this Christmas time of year. Um, and I'm kind of bah humbug about all kinds of stuff. And, but there's a part of it that I really like that most people don't. Um, a lot of people get very upset and frustrated at how materialistic it's become. I've got to buy gifts, buy gifts, buy gifts. I get it. You know, there's all this constantly going to the store and it's, you know, it's really spending all this money that nobody even really needs. Hold on. Here's why I like it. What other time of the year are you scrambling around using your money to go buy other people presents and try to think what they like? What, are you doing this all year long and that's why you don't like Christmas? This is one of the only times in the entire year you don't spend your money on yourself. You're actually buying other people's stuff. Now, I get it's materialistic. I get Satan's twisted it and distorted it. I get all that, but I'm not about to leave it like that. I'm looking at the glasses half full and going, man, at least we're learning to be generous. There's something in it. I mean, you're really putting some thought into it. You're going out of your way. What? To go make somebody else smile and you literally care when they open a gift that you bought for them? That's awesome. You know, I had a buddy that, um, his name's Aaron and I've shared him before, but a number of years ago he was killed by a drunk driver. And, uh, Aaron and I played music together and it was a, it was a tremendous loss when he was gone. It was, it was a scenario where the police were uh, doing a high-speed chase on a guy that was drunk and he was driving one way and the other guy was driving the other and crossed over the center line and killed him and He loved Christmas 
every Christmas, his mom, who does not go here, she's not in this community, uh, sends me a card in honor of him and sends me money. And the money says, please give this to someone that needs it in honor of Aaron and tell his story. So every Christmas, I end up having this amount of money, and I go and I cash it out and I put it in my wallet. And that money, I'm now praying about, who does it go to? Do you know what a whole different mindset it is when you have money in your wallet that you're not allowed to touch? It's not yours. It's not a, oh my gosh, I got to go to Starbucks, ah, right? It's not, it's not that. It's literally a, I don't get to have this. I'm waiting to give it away. And you're praying going, Lord, is that one? Is that the one? Is that the one? Because you know somebody specific is intended for that. So you're literally looking for a need. You guys, whole different mindset, whole different ball game. How amazing would it be is if we actually did that with our own money? How amazing would it be that we actually didn't live paycheck to paycheck? Because here's the deal. Whether you make 40 grand a year or 250 grand a year, I bet you live paycheck to paycheck. Why? Because you'll always have your expenses rise up to meet your income. And at all times, you're slightly strapped. It doesn't matter what your income is. But why do we always have to live at our max level? Why is there not any space for generosity? Why is there not an opening where we would say that money is earmarked for nothing? Or it's earmarked to say, I wonder if somebody's going to need help today. Why is that not even in our vocabulary? Because it's not in my account. I mean, I, I am able to give and help people, but I don't have that earmarked out. And it's kind of embarrassing, actually. Because why do we have to live at our max all the time? I want to talk about uh, and kind of open up some things because a lot of you don't really know kind of when you give to the church, where does it go? I can kind of give you the basic idea on this. You know, some people are like, gosh, you know, I'm putting this money in there and they're so close to Thunder Valley and maybe that's where they're using it, you know, and I, <laughs> you know, the elder retreats always seem to go that direction and... I'll, I'll be very honest with you. Basically, your money goes to three things. It goes to helping people that need it. It goes to providing for the environment that you're worshiping in. Or it goes to pay for the people that are ministering to you. That's it. That's really all your money goes for. If we're going to talk about specific needs of helping those that need help, let me go through some of the, some of the dollar amounts for you so you know where your money's going. Every year... We budget out, and our year is fiscal, so it goes from July through to June. That's our fiscal year. Every year, we budget $35,000 for benevolence. Benevolence, in our definition, means this. Someone in our community, in our closer community, or someone from the outside that has a legitimate need that can be ministered to and fits certain criteria. For example, it cannot be an ongoing, long, we're putting money down a whole thing. That doesn't work. We do a lot of stewardship behind it. Let's say somebody says, you know what? There was a big problem in our family. We had to pay for our daughter's health bills, and now we can't pay our electric bill this month, but we're going to be back up on our feet. That's what I'm talking about. We budget thirty-five grand every year just for needs like that, and then we have a team that assesses the needs. On top of that, 
You know the Bridgeway Bounty Farmer's Market that we always have in there where it has all that produce and everything and it's donations and if you need it, you can just take it. You don't have to pay for it, but there's also a place where you can put donations. Do you know that that place generates about 800 bucks a month? You know where it goes to? To add on top of the 35 grand. What? Just to help people that are hurting. This is a rough time. We are using up a lot of that money very easily. Why? Because there's so much need right now. All right, but that's where the money goes. We budget out and spend every year $27,000 only on homeless ministries. That's it. Why? Because they're our family. Why? Because they have need. Why? Because Jesus said so. So there's two different ministries and it's split out over them and we spend 25 grand just on them. You know the whole thing about Yaka Africa, right? I said these little kids need a place to be and they need sponsorship and everything. And what'd you guys do? This is what this church does. 50 grand. You drop 50 grand on kids you'll never meet unless you go over to Uganda. Seriously? $50,000 you gave above and beyond to make sure that they didn't have to walk three, four, five miles just to go to school. That's extraordinary. With all the trips that we send out where they're raising funds, right? They're raising them from where? You. You're the people they know. You're the ones they're writing letters to. And all the same pool of people were all raising up funds with what the church budgets for missionaries and what we raise as a church to let these teams go and what we invest into places all over the world. You know how much it is a year? It's half a million. It's $500,000 that every year flushes through to just go out and say, Jesus loves you. That's extraordinary. What, you're going to do that on your own at home? There's no way that's going to happen. Why? We got to pool our resources together. Listen, I'm not going to go through all of them. I'm just letting you know that when you say, gosh, I wonder where that money's going to, it's going to, to ministry. It's going to help people out. It's going to pay for ministers that actually can say, hey, do you need to talk? That's extraordinary. They're loving on you. Pick it up in verse five. If anyone leaves, I will call you out. Right? Yes, you can hold it for eight minutes. Here we go. He said this, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia for I intend to pass through Macedonia. Um, he was going to go through and indeed he did. We find out in second Corinthians, he did pass through there. And here's what he said about their offering. Second Corinthians eight, one through four says this. We want you to know brothers about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, on their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. This church who has extreme poverty, what churches are in the Macedonian region? The Philippians, the Thessalonians. The Bereans, you're familiar with these folks. They're super poor, almost as poor as Jerusalem is, and they beg Paul, can we give too? He's like, what do you got? They're like, I don't know, but we got like these pennies and these pennies. You know, they're checking under the couch cushions and they're giving it to them, right? They said, just let us be a part of it. I, when, when all those churches go in and say, hey, we love you, we want one of our guys to go too. He said, do you understand what's going on here? 
That's how much they want to be a part of this. He said, and you know what? Talking about plans, perhaps I'll stay with you when I come through or even spend the winter there because I can't sail in the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. Paul was always about partnerships. We're not doing this alone. I'm not a lone ranger. I have Timothy with me. I got Titus with me, Erastus, all these guys. I'm always trying to raise up men in the ministry. I want this church to tie into this church and tie into this church. I'm really into unity. That was Paul's attitude of being involved in church. He said, for I don't want to just see you now in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. His heart wants to be with his people. But guess what? His plans get hijacked twice and he ends up getting heat from it. They're like, you said you were going to show up. He ended up not being able to hang with them very long. He had a short, painful visit, which was, I don't have time to hang with you guys, but you know what? You're so far out of line. I'm going to roll into town. I'm going to bring the hammer down, and then I got to move on because you're way out of control. He said, but I can't leave right now. I need to stay where I am in Ephesus. Paul had two terribly difficult churches that he planted, Ephesus and Corinth. He said, I'm right now in Ephesus writing to you guys, my other problem child. He said, I got to stay here until Pentecost. Now, we always think of Pentecost as a Christian thing. Like, that's when the Holy Spirit came. Do you understand it's actually a Jewish holiday? That the Holy Spirit came on a Jewish holiday. The Jewish holiday is 50 days after Passover. It's a spring festival about first fruits. You know what's so cool about that? The Holy Spirit came on a day when you celebrate, here's a little taste of what's to come. That's pretty awesome. The Holy Spirit's like, yep, watch this. I will hit and I'm about to go worldwide. You have no idea what I can bring, right? Incredible. And I'm staying here because a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. God has blasted open a door, holding it for me. I'm not bailing out on it. I got to get a couple things done here, then I'll leave. His heart is in the ministry. He said, you know what? I'm sending Timothy to you. He's already on his way. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. Let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me, for I'm expecting him with the brothers. Here's what he just said. You guys, I'm 60 years old. 60, 62, 65. I'm tough as nails. I've been beaten, stoned, shipwrecked. Man, if there's ever a guy that can handle stuff, it's me. I've been in the ministry. Jesus called me personally, and I've broken ground as a missionary where no one else has ever been. I can handle an awful lot of hits. I got my boy who I'm sending to you. I sent him into all my hardcore situations. He's the pastor at Ephesus. He's going to be the pastor at Corinth, and I'm sending Timothy. He's in his 20s. He's got some funky body issues in terms of ailments. He's not a super strong, healthy kid. And you know what? He's more timid than I am. I kind of get in people's faces. He's a little bit more reserved and laid back. If you have hassled me to the degree that you have hassled me, I'm afraid of what you're going to do to my buddy. When I send Timothy, don't mess with him. I want him back. I want him joyful. I want him good. He's doing a favor for me. And you know what? Don't ever play this game where, oh, you're just Paul's sidekick. He is empowered by the Holy Spirit just as much as I am. So if I dare to send him to you, don't touch him. Leave him alone. Why? Because Paul looks out after his boys, right? 
So what are we supposed to do with all this? Well, here's the thoughts. Do you own this place? I mean, are you invested here? Are you, man, these people, I really love these people. When Lance talks about somebody got healed, I'm like, yeah, that's one of our family members. Or are you kind of like, oh, that's cool for them. Are you calling it we or are you calling us them? How are you dealing with your church? Are you tied in? Are you engaged? Do you care about us? Are you involved with us? The way that we are supposed to do ministry and the way we're supposed to do church is all kind of together, right? And what's the other thing? Give, give, give. Why? Because you need to. If you don't, you become a jerk. That's it. Why? It's not even that God needs your money. It's that you need to get rid of it. You got to get rid of it because you're selfish by nature and you're kind of mean. And so you hang on to your stuff and it's always mine, 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 right? My precious. You know, you're just like, right? It's just not all right. And God's like, you know what? Money does what I do. And it's like you're carrying around this idol in your pocket. And little by little, it's like taking over your body. Can you please give that away? So here's the deal. Whether you're out having coffee with somebody, just be generous. If you can afford it, buy your buddy's coffee. That's it. If, you're at, if you can grab the, the tab at a restaurant for somebody else, take it. Why? Because it's good for you. Just be generous and kind and loving. Does it all have to go to the church? No, of course it doesn't. You're just out there because you need to get it away from you. And the more and more you give, then the Lord goes, all right, well, now there's a, there's a reason I can bless you because you're actually going to distribute it. If you're just going to keep it and hang on to it, why in the world would I give you more? That's ridiculous. So sure enough, as you're giving away, God goes, man, this is a wonderful opportunity. All right. Do we always get blessed forgiving? Yes. Is it always financially? No, it is not. Stop playing that game. But you know what? There's a lot of stuff you need more than money. And the Lord is all over you. Let's close in prayer and I'll give you the final challenge. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to enjoy your word, learn from you. You are so kind and gracious and so fun and generous. And I just Ask, Lord, that you would be magnified in our minds today, glorified enough to, Lord, where we want to give you everything that we have. Be praised in us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's your closing challenge. It's on the screen. Invite somebody to your house. Spend time with them, perhaps over a meal. Not good enough to go get coffee. Notice I wrote that down. It's about opening your home so they're honored to be allowed in your personal space. The deal is we got to start doing this together. Amen? Amen. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you next week.